0: Okay. Take your Bibles this morning and turn back to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we begin this morning uh, a new subject contained in this uh, 12th chapter. I've entitled these lessons, and there'll be several of them. Today's basically just going to be an introduction. We might cover verse 5 and 6 if we can get that far. But I think there's some things that we need to say to uh, put. Uh, the writer of Hebrews' words or the Holy Spirit's words to His church in their proper context. Uh, this section is entitled "Whom the Lord Loves." Whom the Lord loves, He chasteneth. Part one. Now I don't know about you, but I'm I'm pretty certain, uh, and I and I speak uh, with uh, the experience of wisdom in my own life that chapters and words like what we're going to begin looking at over the next several weeks concerning the chastening hand of the lord caused us a lot of grief in our former religion did it not everything and, and that was the mindset that that false religion put into our minds it's like it's like god is just waiting up there you know he's it, it well they actually presented us to us in that way that god's God's up there and there's kind of like a guardrail up in heaven and he's looking over that guardrail. And if you go out of line, you swerve to the left, you know, you sin, whatever however they qualify sin, some of them worse than the others, then God's gonna get payback for it. And that's not what this this thing of chastening is. I remember that, that, that old man that I started under back over in Shreveport, he would use passages like this to enforce on us the, the, the legal uh, power and authority of the tithe. He'd say, if you don't give at least a tithe of everything that you got, what's God going to do? He's going to take it from you. He's going he to get his cut. That's basically what it is. It's a tax. Listen to me. The, the tithe was an Old Testament principle under the law of Moses. The principle for giving among the children of God is this. As every man or woman purposes in his or own heart, so let them give. Not grudgingly. Now listen to this. Not grudgingly, nor of necessity. In other words, it's it, it's not a... It's not a give to get. Like my mama used to try to tell me all the time. She'd tell me, the reason me and your daddy have been blessed the way that we've been blessed through our lives is before we do anything else with our money, we always give a tenth of everything that we've ever possibly made. And then she quoted this verse to me. What First, just slip my mind. <laughs> give, here it is. Give, and it'll be given to you. Pressed down, shaking together, and running over. Now, what is that? If you're if you're given to get, that's not giving. That's a debt, and that's expecting payment for a debt. And he would beat me to death with that over at that old church. I've told you this, Pam and I were, we were poor. I mean, we were dirt poor. And he would stand up there in that pulpit and thunder at me about being a God robber. But I'm going to tell you what, 10% of of nothing in the bank is nothing. You couldn't, you know, they'd they'd harp on that with his might and all that stuff, and I'd feel so guilty, and I'd get up and go to work on a Monday, I'd go outside and have a flat tire, and I'd think, The tire went flat because it was supposed to go flat. (laughs) It wasn't God getting back 10% by taking a tire from me or calling my alternator to go out or calling my battery to go dead or causing me to have... I used to think all the time every every illness that my kids had, you know what it was? It was because of me. Every difficulty that came along, I was always trying to figure out what have I done because that's what was enforced on me. That's what was programmed into our mindset. That's not what Paul or the writer of Hebrews is talking about here when he talks about chastening. And see, in this this chapter, in these next verses that we're going to look at, the the, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he, he proceeds with a new argument not to load burden on these people that are already burdened, Because they're burdened, you realize these Hebrew believers have lost everything. They've lost their place where they formerly worshipped at. They used to go down to the tabernacle. Now, Now they do not. Many of them had lost their jobs, their livelihoods. They had been separated because of their identification with Christ, His blood, His righteousness, claiming that He was their Redeemer, that He was their Savior that he was the Messiah, synagogue, of God, they had been ostracized and cut off from any help or support from their family or their friends. And so he's not trying to, to put more burden on them. They're already dealing with this burden that they've been placed in. But he's seeking to encourage believers to do what? Persevere in the faith, what we've been talking about for the last several months. Huh? The just live how? Not by legal fear and not by mercenary promise of reward. How do we live? We live by God-given faith, believing that God will save us and bless us and keep us and qualify us and entitle us to all grace here, everything included in this life, and all glory hereafter, based not on our merit or our worth or our efforts, but based exclusively on the person and work of His dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he shows us something in these verses. He's going to show us the the true nature and the design of all their afflictions, what had happened to them, and their suffering. It was not for their detriment. We always think that, right? When things go bad, what do we think? It's for the worse. But instead of being for the worse, how should we look at the bad things that come into our lives? They're for our good. (laughs) That's... The only way you can do that is by faith. Huh? I mean, you think about everything. And it's easier said than done. But this is the reality. Everything good, everything vile, bad, that comes into our life, where does it come from? I always think about, about Job, don't you? The Lord giveth. Everything you got, where'd it come from? The Lord gave it to you. The Lord taketh. If he takes away something from you, who took it? Satan didn't. Look, the world can't the world cannot take anything away from us. Nothing. Can't take away our sonship to God. It can't take away our priesthood with God. We're made kings and priests. And it can never take away our kingship. We are we are in Christ, blessed, exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. So instead of afflictions and suffering being for our for our detriment, what are they for? They're for our good. I, I, I I've stressed this to you, and I've stressed this to everybody I've ever preached the gospel to. Two things that we've been given. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. First, we've been given what? Been given unto you on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on his name. So if you believe, where would that come from? Of my own free will and accord. No. On the behalf of Christ, it was given to you, bestowed freely on you, the ability to believe and rest in what? In his blood and his righteousness. Now, I don't need to believe on his name, but what else has been given to you? To suffer for his name's sake. That's a unique suffering. It's not suffering because of the way I wear my hair, the way I talk, or the way I wear my clothes, or the way I act in the world. It's suffering for his, his name's sake. What's his name? huh <laughs> The Lord, our righteousness. That's what these Hebrew believers were suffering for. That's the only thing we should suffer for. huh we should suffer because he's our righteousness and him alone. This word, you think he calls, he calls the things that came into their lives, and he calls the things that come into our lives. What does he call them? The chastening of the Lord. The chastening of the Lord. That word translated chastening, it means instruction. Or I like this. You'd never get this from chastening. Because see, we always equate things with we. We look at it like this: Chastening to us is what we do to our children. Now, when we when we chasten our children or we discipline our children, how should it be? And I used to be guilty of this, and Matt, Matt, and Jeremy can confess to this. Most of the time, I was one of those parents that I I let my children needle me and needle me and needle me and. Kept, I kept backing up and drawing another line in the sand and saying, you cross this one, you cross this one, you cross this one. And eventually, after they pushed me 10 or 12 times, me backing up and putting another line in the sand for them to dare not cross. When they'd cross it, oh, Richard, instead of where I should have disciplined them in the first instance to instruct them, to nurture them, to teach them what's right, what would happen to me, Matt? I would come unwound, not proud of it. And instead of it being for nurture, you know what it was? It was anger. God don't do that. God has never chastened one of his children in anger. Never. We ought to take that to heart. When, when we, we should back up when it's our own children and realize we are the ones to nurture and instruct them in the ways of life. Not out of anger, but out of love. Love for them. So this word means instruction. It, means, it literally means nurturing, to nurture a child. So as it's used throughout this chapter, what, is, what's he, what are we talking about when he's talking about the chastening of the Lord? We're talking about correction for instruction, right? That's what he's talking about. It involves persecution, which is directly related to the testimony of the gospel telling the world that their deeds are evil, that their persons are condemned, and that their refuge, though they feel comfortable in it, what is it? It's a false one. Offering no real hope. And really, when you think about it, chasing it, it presupposes, because here's the thing, I didn't want anybody to chasten my two boys, but who? Now, my mom and dad I don't know if they ever did. <laughs> they could, or Pam's mom and dad could have. But I did not no aunt and no uncle going to touch my child. Not, not my brother or his wife. Or any, not, that, that's not, who's, 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 they're my responsibility. So chastening presupposes what? A father toward the children. It's a relationship that God has with each and every one of his children. And here's the thing, and we're going to see this as we go through this section. We won't get there this Sunday. But you know what chastening is an evidence of? People always say, I'm looking for evidence. Well, I don't want you to be looking for evidence, but you know what chastening is? It's an evidence that you're a child of God. I will quote the verse for you, whom the Lord loves, he's chastened. If you don't receive chastisement, what are you? You're a bastard. You're not a son. Because whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He instructs them. He nourishes them. He strengthens them. So before we look at these two verses, that we're going to look at this morning and look at this whole section, we need to clear up two deadly misconceptions. And listen to them. They're absolutely deadly. The first one is this. No person has any right not one, to look upon afflictions is fatherly chastening except those who profess to believe God's gospel, who have rested in Christ's righteousness, God's promise of salvation condition on Christ alone, those who are already saved, already qualified, already fit, already entitled to eternal life based on their oneness with Christ. You think about this. The only ones that have a right to, to talk about the nurturing of the Lord are those who have repented from dead works and former idolatry, who are no longer looking to anything done in them or by them as a hope or cause of salvation. The only ones that can look upon the chastening of God as the chastening of a father are those who have, been, have, have known and have confessed... That formerly, what were we? We were in Satan's family. That we were under the guilt, penalty, and condemnation of God's law in our relationship found in Adam. And that we were bringing forth fruit unto death in everything we did by way of obedience. Not only that, but think about this. Suffering affliction in the world It's common to everybody, saved and lost. Huh? There's a war going on over in Ukraine. I don't know if there's any over there that are believers or not. You don't think they're suffering? Down there where we're seeking to help the brethren in Malawi, Africa. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who have heard the gospel and are attending the churches that have been set over, over there by Brother Brother James and the other preachers of the gospel that are under him over there, they're suffering hunger. They're suffering through this uh, drought. But there's a bunch of people over there, too, that are suffering right along with them. They're, they're suffering affliction, aren't they? Those Jews in the Holocaust—they suffered affliction. They were unbelievers. Don't don't kid yourself. That just because they were Jews and just because they died under that devil German Hitler and all that were under him, that somehow or another, because of their Jewship, they went to heaven. That's not. Listen, if they had not, if there were any Jews out of any of those people that died in that horrible event in history called the Holocaust. If any of them were in heaven, what did they do? What did they believe? What was their hope? The same hope as Abraham's. What did they believe? They had believed on him who justified the ungodly. They didn't go to heaven because they were simply Jewish nationality. But all those Jews suffered tremendously. I can't even stand to watch the... The, the documentaries of when they found all those, those concentration camps. I mean, the vileness and evil of mankind is off the charts. And I'll tell you something else. Suffering loans, not an evidence that somebody's in God's favor. How do you know? Well, listen to this. Our Lord told a parable, spoke a parable. In Luke 16. Don't turn there. Let me just read it to you. Listen to this parable. This is is our Lord. This is wisdom. The eternal word of God. And he says this. There was a certain rich man. Which was clothed in purple and fine linen. And fared sumptuously every day. What did he have? He had everything in this world. And there was a certain beggar. Named Lazarus, which was laid at his gates, full of sores, desiring to be fed with crumbs, which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. Two men. One had everything. Another had nothing. And we know from the rest of the parable, when they both died, where'd, where'd the rich man go? who had fared sumptuously. He opened his eyes in hell. And Lazarus, who had done nothing, according to what our Lord says here, to deserve the situation or circumstance that he's in, what has he been given? He's comforted in Abraham's bosom. But now, if we looked at that from the outside, what would we falsely assume? If the world looked at it, who would they assume would be the one that's blessed of God? Let's think about it like that. The rich man. And the human nature would would be saying this. What did Lazarus do to deserve what he was going through? (laughs) He had to have done something wrong. Had to have done something wrong. I think about Joseph. What had he done to deserve... His brothers forsaking him, selling him, deceiving his father. What had he done other than being a kind slave and faithful servant to to uh, to What was that dude's name? Uh, Potiphar or Potiphar's wife to deserve the deception that that woman placed upon him? And the world would look at it and it'd say. He had to do something. Something had to be done. Listen, chastening, nurturing, correction for instruction is the effect of a father son relationship. His watch care over us. Those who have, listen, he only chastened those who are. Listen, what are we? We're going to talk about some in the worship hour this morning. We're heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. Look, our Lord was chastened, was He not? What He do deserve So these afflictions, these persecutions, which evidence the hatred and disfavor of the world toward believers, could listen. Our Lord said this: If they hated me, what are they going to do to you? And don't get me wrong. I I don't don't want you and me to go out here and try to cause a fight with somebody and get it to where they hate us. That's not what I'm saying we need to do. I I, I follow this principle that's set down in the book of Romans. As much as possible, we're to live peaceably with who? With all men. As much as possible. But it's troubling when the world can embrace and love and cherish and care for and be in such close communion and fellowship and association with those that are of Christ. History does not. The history of the church, the history of of the, the children of faith does not support that kind of a relationship between the world and the people of God. No, it doesn't. I tell you, and I I tell you this as faithfully and as kindly and as compassionately as I can. We should not make our closest, most intimate friends men and women of this world. I'm going to repeat that. We should not and we must not make those who do not know Christ. Our most intimate friends while in this present world. And you say, Well, I don't like that. Well, then you need to tear 2 Corinthians chapter 6 out of the scripture. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Because that that that's the issue, Kenny. We are children of what? Children of light. What are they? They might be kind, moral, compassionate, religious men and women. Don't question that for a second, but what are they? They're darkness. Religious darkness. They're like the scribes and Pharisees. How did the scribes and Pharisees treat our Lord? Now, some of them, like Nicodemus, came, but they came how? Privately. For fear of what? For fear of what would happen to them. Uh, it, it, It's I, I've got to the point, you know, I mean, family's got to be the hardest thing to deal with. And it does. Unbelieving family. Because they can say things, and it used to, and, and I mean, it, it took me a bunch of years to get to where I could keep my mouth shut because, you know, we, human nature is we always, we've got to defend. We think, and, and we've had it, even in, in true, true Christianity, we get it programmed into our mind that unless we stand up, we are somehow compromising. And we're not. But my family can, can, can infuriate me to the point to where I want to say something, but you know what it would descend into? It would be a fight. It'd be an argument of no value. So I don't go down that road, Less travel. My, my mindset in dealing with my family or my wife's family or friends that I have in this world is if any man asks thee a reason of the hope that's in thee with meekness and fear, be ready always to give them an answer. But if they, if they want to argue with me, Kenny, I ain't wasting a second on it. I've just done them. I'm going to be 65 years old. I am not in the fighting business anymore. And that's not compromise. That's following the principle of the Scriptures. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh thee a reason of the hope that lieth in thee with meekness and with fear. Not meekness and fear in me. Meekness and fear in them. If they really want to know, I tell them when they ask me a question... You really want an answer? Yeah, I really want it. They listen to the answer. You know what they've done to me through the years? They don't talk to me anymore. But I told them honestly, scripturally, told them everything. What? What about? They, they, they come up with those same old questions, even in the middle of because I, I thought they really wanted to know. But they, well, what, what about my belief? What about my free will? You mean God makes all the choices? Dadgum right. He's God. But I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. I dare not go where angels tread anymore. I used to. I used to pick fights for people. I don't do it. I don't do it online when people say something that's just so stupid that I. I want to say something. I'll sit there and I'll type an answer and before I send it, you know, what I do. I erase it. I think, I ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna do it. I just pray that at some point in time, if there he is, what he'll open a door opportunity, and give me an opportunity to tell him the truth. So I just keep plugging along with the truth. That's all I keep doing. Just keep preaching Christ. Keep talking about His blood. Keep talking about His righteousness. We're going to be if if we truly stand for the righteousness of Christ, dogmatically and uncompromisingly, the world will not be our friend. If your friends really knew what you believed about them, you know what they'd think about you? One that I dearly love said this week, one of the statements that came out of his mouth was, we know we did believe a little different than you and Pam. <laughs> no, it ain't just a little different. It's like darkness. It's life and death. It's not just a little off the track. It's... The way that leads to death versus the way that leads to life, because their way is that way that seems right in the man. The end of that way, what is it? It's dead. Here's the second one. The second deadly misconception. In the strictest sense, none of God, none of God's children, are ever dealt with. In literal punishment. Now you get that right. None. Not one elect. Redeemed. Justified. Sanctified. And as good as glorified in Christ Jesus. Child of God. Is ever dealt with by God in literal punishment. The elect of God. We do not pay for our sins. And we do not correct our imperfections by more of what we consider to be perfections by our obedience to laws, rules, or faith. You think about How in the world could anybody who believes in the one sacrifice of Christ for his people's sin even suggest that God would punish us? <laughs> God chastens us. He chastens us. But he never punishes us. Never. It's a chastening which has a goal. You know what the goal of his chastening is? For us to let go of everything down here. That's hard to do, isn't it? it's hard, it, 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 it is hard to just lean back in him and never have a worry or a care <laughs> that, that but that's that 's where we should be. I think about Paul on that boat when they were out there, and that clothing storm came up. I always remember Gary Shepherd first time I preached with him, we were up in Walmart and he talked about that' Eurocl- i think it 's storm that came out there, and it was you know and Paul told him, Be in no fear. The God's who I am, the God who I am, of whom I am and whom I serve, what's he done? He's promised me that won't anybody on this boat be hurt. But you got to stay on the boat. The boat hits the rocks, and the boat comes to pieces, and what they about to do? They're about to jump off. He says, Uh uh-uh. uh the promise by the God of et- the eternal God is we stay here, won't nobody be lost. And it came exactly true, had God His promised. And it's the same with you and me, though we cannot see it. Every let's, all things work together for good to them that I mean everything. Now I know if I go home this afternoon, my house is on the ground. In ashes, it's gonna be—it's gonna be hard for me to say. Well, yeah. all things work together for good to God. <laughs> but if listen, if it—if it's not His will for that house to burn, what that house is gonna stand? I'm at retirement age now, and I find myself human nature. You know what I'm worried about? Whether I've got enough. Well, tell me what enough is. When the one who has control of enough has got control of what I consider ain't enough. That Shunammite woman. Huh? The, the, the woman that fed the prophet. Had just enough meal and all for herself and her son. And said we're going we're gonna to make a little cake and we're going to eat it. And we're going to die and the prophet said I tell you what, you make me a cake first and she did and what happened they went and got every vial and cruse of oil in the whole neighborhood and it just kept filling up that, let's, that, that's God's promise to us we will have what we need Not what we want. That's where we get so confused. When when God is using affliction to chasten his people, we don't have enough insight either in God's purposes or our brethren's lives to say God's dealing with somebody because of their sins. It's easy to say that, isn't it? And here in Hebrews 12, God's people (laughs) <laughs> they're going through afflictions. They're going through persecutions. And the reason they're going through it is because they won't compromise the gospel. Some had. And that's the thing. The minute you compromise, what happens? The persecution goes away. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed? The ground fell on the stony ground. Remember the seed fell on the stony ground? And it sprung up immediately. But because it had no root, it couldn't set a root root in the rock as opposed to the ground that was prepared by God, it wasn't a good seed to begin with. What happened? It withered and died. And he said, in like manner, when he interpreted, he said that stony ground here is who? The one who, when they hear the word of God, they immediately receive it with joy. But because they have no root, what's the root? They have not faith. Christ in them the hope of glory. When Listen to the language. When persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by, what happens? They're offended. They go away. I've said this for 36 years. If the Lord lets me stand here and preach this gospel for 20 more years, I hope he does. I don't know if he will. I'll be 80, 85 years old. <laughs> I hope he raises up a man behind me. If you're not here, other than the fact you've died and gone to be with our Lord, if you have left this and gone back to your former religion, you never knew Christ. Never knew him. If you can depart and leave this most holy faith... There remains no more sacrifice for sin. Christ did this one time. He saved his people from their sins, And those that had been saved from their sins, you know what they do? They sit like Mary at Christ's feet. And let the sister get as dismayed, Martha, as she can. Goes to Christ, do something about Mary. I'm up here worried about all this stuff. And she's sitting here learning what our Lord say. Martha, Martha, you're cumbered about by so many things. <laughs> but your sister, he wasn't saying Martha was lost. Martha was a child of God. What was Martha caught up with? Well, like what you and I get so often caught up with, the things of time and sense. She's worried about everything right for Christ. Sound like a good and commendable thing, wouldn't it? Christ would have been more honored by instead of Martha running around serving, where should she have been? She should have been beside Mary. He said she's chose the good part because what she's getting, her the instruction she was getting from the mouth of our blessed Lord, that's never taken away. But everything of time and sense, you know what happens to it? Like sand through an hourglass, it slips through our fingers. Hold on to your family as tightly as you can and you see where it goes to. Hold on to your finances and think they're the most important thing. I'm telling you, they will evaporate. And if they don't evaporate, there'll be things that you leave for somebody to live on after you. That's all there'll be. The things. All of them. Also know this, you know, God sometimes deals with his people in afflictions without respect to any disobedience at all. That's the case with Job. Job had done nothing. And yet Job's friends who were ignorant of the fact that God was instructing this man Job, they looked at him and they answered without listening. What what was their thoughts toward Job and everything he was going through? What have you done? What have you done? What Job called them. Huh? They're miserable comforters. Paul, listen. Paul, who was the greatest of the apostles. There ain't no question about that. The Catholic Church can claim Peter was the greatest. He might have stood on Pentecost, but I tell you, this man, the Apostle Paul, did more went for he said, I. I exceeded them all. I went beyond all of them. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. This man, what did he, he got caught up to the third heaven. He looked into heaven itself, saw the things gloriously because and listen, God showed him that because what? What he was going to have to suffer for his name's sake. This is your hope, Paul. And he said, I saw things that were so glorious that lest I be puffed up in the flesh, think of myself more highly than I ought to, what God do? God gave me a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to debate and argue about that. It was a thorn in the flesh. And he said, I besought the Lord three times. Take this away. Take this away. And God said, I'm not going to take it away because when you're weak, what am I? And that's the thing. We don't ever want to be weak. That's humanity. But I tell you, when we are at our weakest, where is our strength at? God help us to be weak. (laughs) That's the opposite. I'm a a strong believer. No, that's, that's the wrong kind to be. Weak. Because weak, if we are weak, where are we at? We're, in, we're 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 we 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 we're in those everlasting arms that're underneath us. You see that? Now we know there's certain sins that have immediate consequences. If you if if a man pulls a gun on somebody and threatens somebody, there's going to be an immediate consequence to that, isn't there? If a man or a woman commits adultery on their spouse and gets caught by their other spouse, there's an immediate consequence, is there not? And see, when when believers commit these sins, they're going to suffer the consequences of them. But if God's people are always to be judged by being in trouble because of their sin... Then what about when you sin and you don't have any trouble? Every sin that you've ever committed, have you been have you been chastened over it? Huh? Think about it. If all trouble is punishment for sin, then then why does God visit all sin? Doesn't visit why doesn't God visit all sin with trouble? Has God always has he always afflicted you and made you suffer when you sin. And the answer is what? Certainly not. And I'm thankful for it. And I tell you what, if the Lord, Lord chastened me and beat me down for everything that I'd done, I, I would be the most beat down, destroyed person on this planet. Because our sin is what? It's, I got up this morning. I've I've been up for what? About f- I got up at four thirty and went back to bed and got up at six. I've been up since six. I've been up almost five hours. And the command is what: love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Have I done that? If if he has he constantly been on my mind since. Four thirty. Yeah, tell you what when I, that dog got me up at four thirty. My mind wasn't on the Lord when I was outside with a dog at four thirty. Him wandering around in my yard. Huh? It's it's daily. It's hourly. It's sins of commission. Look, we sin sometimes. Don't even know. Sins of omission. We wouldn't be able to lift our heads if God met every transgression with suffering. But we've got to always remember this, and we'll close with this. It, this does, we're not going to cover any This has just been an introduction to this, this section here. But I think it's important. We have to always remember that when it comes to the payment for sin, what does the payment of sin require? Perfect satisfaction. Not a little bit of chastening. Perfect The wages of sin, death. Now think about that in light of this thing, the way the, the world presented chastening to us. The payday for one sin, be it small or large, is what? Death. Eternal death. And that, that perfect payment, that perfect satisfaction to God's law and justice is only found Where? In Christ, his obedience unto death. And see, it, it's these kind of ideas that these believers were dealing with here, the Hebrew Christians, that, that Paul was seeking, to, the writer Hebrews was seeking to, to put down and destroy. The, these, these Hebrew believers were still under the heavy influences of those old Jewish prejudices. Of temporal peace and prosperity to be brought in by the Messiah. Because who are they still... Think about this. They're still... These people that are persecuting these Hebrew believers, who are they still looking for? Ask yourself this. Who are the national Jews that are alive today? Who are they still looking for? But at this particular time, Christ... This is not... But a few years beyond when our Lord had actually suffered, bled, and died, his disciples were still on the planet who had saw him and handled the word of life. And what did they do? They denied it and they said, no, 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 no. When Messiah comes, we're going to be what? We're going to be set up. And these prejudices naturally led them to entertain doubt that you're wrong to embrace this gospel. And instead of being children of God, what are you? If you embrace that gospel, you embrace Christ, the Jews thought, were you? They thought you were an object of God's wrath. They thought you were an idolater. They accused our Lord Jesus Christ of being a blasphemer. And they'll do the same of us. And their kinsmen who had rejected Christ were prospering. And these Hebrew believers, what were they? They were afflicted. So the writer of Hebrews assures them that these afflictions and these persecutions were evidences of what? Of God's love and his favor to them in Christ. They were fully assured by the writer of Hebrews that God had not forsaken them. And listen, he will never, get that into your mind, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Though you feel it felt like it is at times. He never has. And he never will. I, I I think about David's words. I've been young and now I'm old. And I've not never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And you know what I think that's talking about, Kenny? That's talking about Christ. Cause I tell there have been some believers listen, there's some believers right now in Malawi Africa but begging bread. But when we, he's talking about I, the righteous never Who's the only one that's ever righteous? And they never beg bread. Beg, bread for what They never beg for the bread of God. They've always got it, good or bad. Okay, you're dismissed to worship. I appreciate you, President. <laughs>